Anytime you are dealing with an event that has so much scrutiny, the bar is really high. Um, I think we all felt the pressure of worrying about saying something that could be refuted. And so we really just focused on the visuals and what do the visuals show because that is irrefutable. That was Nadine Ajaka, senior producer for visual forensics at The Washington Post. She and her team won a 2021 DuPont Award for their meticulous reconstruction of the crackdown on peaceful protesters last June in Lafayette Square. That's the one that happened right before Donald Trump's photo op in front of St. John's Church, where he held up a Bible. Hello and welcome to another episode of On Assignment. I'm Abby Wright. I run the prizes department at Columbia Journalism School, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Lisa R. Cohen, director of the DuPont Awards. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm doing well. I'm getting a little bit of a break, uh, coming to terms with the fact that it's somehow March again, but I'm thrilled with how this year's virtual DuPont ceremony came together. So am I. Congratulations. It really was amazing. Back on February 9th, we celebrated this year's DuPont winners at our annual ceremony. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, but just about (laughs) everything was different about the ceremony this year. Yeah, just like everybody's year. Um, We couldn't bring everyone together on the Columbia campus because of the coronavirus. And so we created a broadcast version of the ceremony. But that's not all. There was so much great journalism done in the last year that the DuPont jury selected a slate of 30 finalists and then chose 15 winners. All of the work was honored during the ceremony. For those who haven't seen it yet, where can the good people see the ceremony? Well, that's another exciting part of this year. We partnered with PBS, so the ceremony is available on pbs.org and a whole bunch of other PBS digital channels. And of course, there's also a link on the On Assignment website and on the DuPont website, dupont.org. Yeah, I actually watched part of it on the Roku channel, which was very cool. Um, So now in today's episode, we have an interview that you did with one of this year's 15 Silver Baton winners who did some really groundbreaking work. That's right. Nadine and her team at the Washington Post do something called visual forensics. This kind of work is getting more and more attention. And it means that instead of having crews go out and film news events, they collect existing video and audio to reconstruct what really happened. Such important work to be doing right now, especially when major news events today can spark so much misinformation and frankly, even disinformation. It is, which is why I was so glad that I got to start our conversation by giving Nadine the good news that she had won a DuPont. It's always been one of my favorite parts of the job. And this year, because of the unusual workflow that we had to create, we realized we could record it for everyone else to enjoy too. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into this edited conversation between you and Nadine Ajaka. Here's the thing. You have been chosen as a winner of the 2021 DuPont Columbia Awards. What? Okay. That's a, wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Wow. Okay. So how does it feel to be chosen as a winner of the 2021 DuPont Awards? Oh my God. I'm so honored. I think, um, 
you know, the fact that this has been just such a crazy year in news, I'm so just greatly humbled. And I'm so thankful to my team and everyone at the post that just supported this. And I am having a hard time knowing what to say right now. (laughs) I want to understand just a little bit about the work. It's so important. It's really innovative. I want to understand a little bit about this particular story, but also just the style of reporting in general. Yeah. So at the post, we are the visual forensics team. Basically, that means we could pursue kind of any number of stories in a variety of different sections, but the methodology of the investigation is in analyzing the visuals. And so the um, reconstruction of Lafayette Square is a really prime example of that, using the visuals to piece together a story and really solidify um, the narrative. So when you say visuals, it's not a typical television news story or video news story. Whose visuals are all these? We are using basically any visuals that we can find on the web. Um, You know, we call it open source reporting. So oftentimes it really is just trolling the internet and watching several hours of video to find the moments that you need and piece together what happened for our audience. So who's doing that? You have a team? So I have Uh, four amazing women on my team, Joyce Lee, Sarah Kalen, Meg Kelly, and Elise Samuels. And we work really closely with the rapid response investigations team at the Washington Post. We're we're small, but but mighty, you know, like the people on the team really are passionate about open source and passionate about this kind of video storytelling. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to do this particular story. I mean, this was a story that was, it was breaking in real time. Everyone was talking about it. It was like incredibly top of the news and the biggest, one of the biggest stories. I think the moment that it happened, we knew that it was going to be a defining moment of the Trump presidency. And there were so many accounts of what happened in bits and pieces. And so what we did was we analyzed hours of video footage and obtained police audio communication and other records to really assemble the most complete account to date of the crackdown on protesters. You know, we felt that it was worth doing something like that for an event of this magnitude. Um, I mean, it really was remarkable. Federal police in riot gear, firing gas canisters on protesters that were peaceful and clearing the way for the president to walk to St. John's Church for a three-minute photo op. And so, you know, even just hearing that now is like, you wonder how how that happened and how that unfolded. And so there was so much kind of communication and, and, and different narratives swirling around that day that we felt like it would be worth it to just piece together everything we knew from, um, from the videos that we found. How hard was it to get all that material? It was really tough. I mean, we were looking at hours of videos. Um, you know, we kind of mapped the vantage point of every video that we got in order to really sort of see how the crowd was moving in real time. Um, we, built maps to kind of visualize the sort of skirmish line and how it shifted in the hour before the photo op. I don't know. It was really challenging. It was a lot of late nights. Like I think we worked like 
15, 16 hour days for like two weeks straight and through the weekend, what we came up with is just a really kind of definitive account. I mean, it's not like you call up, you know, law enforcement and say, hey, can we have your audio recordings and your footage? I don't know how you get past all that. Yeah, well, you can get, um, there are like public channels for police audio recording. And so we used those. Um, We also were able to geolocate a lot of the videos that we got. And so in that movement, we really could kind of see how law enforcement was moving and pushing the crowds. We also sort of sourced videos from an open call out. Um, You know, it wasn't just videos that we found online, like people were sending us videos that they took sort of securely um, through a call out that we had made on the WashingtonPost.com. Can you think of any particular challenges, like something that really stood out that you had to deal with and how did you deal with it? Anytime you are dealing with an event that has so much scrutiny, the bar is really high. Um, I think we all felt the pressure of worrying about kind of saying something It could be refuted. And so we really just focused on the visuals and what do the visuals show because that is kind of irrefutable. Um, Something that was challenging for us, I think, was trying to draw conclusions about what weapons were used um, by which agencies and just making sure that we had done our homework because that was sort of a big piece that was in contention. I mean, allegations kind of swirling about on social media and things that were being refuted by law enforcement. And so that kind of was a challenge for us, just making sure that we had everything right. Was there anything about reporting the story that surprised you in the process? Honestly, the reaction to it. (laughs) What do you mean? I think I had kind of thought like a lot of people have seen this and, you know, when you're sort of in it, you're like, is this something that's really going to be like revelatory? Um, and it turns out it, it really was. Anytime you're sort of able to break through on like a big news story that's already kind of happening and seemingly sort of like evolving in real time feels like a bit of a toss up. And, and I guess it really landed. So I'm just really happy about that. So this is one of those questions that you kind of answered a little bit, but I'm going to ask it separately. Why is this an important story? You know, I think that it is an important story because it illustrates an organized show of aggression by a variety of federal law enforcement. And it also really clearly showed through the video vantage points and the maps that we made, how law enforcement cleared the south side of the church, which was the same section of the road that Trump would later walk across to take a photo. I think that there had been sort of speculation, but to kind of see it laid out like that was important. It's interesting. One of the things that we heard was that it was like very much down the middle. It was the tone did not feel like there was any advocacy involved at all. And I wondered if that was something that was deliberate. Yes, absolutely. It's a sensitive story. And so what we really decided to focus on was what do the visuals show? What do they show about where protesters were moving? What do they show about what law enforcement was saying to protesters at that time? You know, what do they show about the munitions that were used by law enforcement? And just kind of detailing that for our audience. The only thesis statement is this is the most complete account to date of the June 1st crackdown on protesters in Washington, D.C., and I think we just are letting our audience take what they what they will from that. Can you talk at all about some of the extraordinary pressures and risks that journalists have been facing, especially this year? Um, has it affected you? If so, how? 
Did it affect this work? Yeah, I think it has impacted us. I mean, I think we all have had to be a little more careful this year. You know, I know sort of members of my team have struggled with um, people who have found their phone numbers and called them up and sent them, you know, harassing messages on Twitter. And I think they feel, um, you know, like maybe this is a, an environment that has, has kind of been increasingly hostile towards um, journalists. But I mean, the thing that's great about our work is that we're just showing you what the videos show and we're piecing it together and we're using our skills to, you know, pull together a narrative um, and really clarify the narrative for our audience. And so in that sense, there's no slant, there's no opinion. Um, what you see is really what you get. And, you know, the work is in analyzing the visuals. People got pushed back on Twitter and social media for this story specifically, or just in general? Um, just in general. I think, you know, the pieces that we have done have been examining um, a lot the actions of law enforcement, which is sensitive for yeah. people in this country. I guess my other question is, what does the future look like? How dangerous is it for journalists? Truthfully, the thing that I'm the most concerned about is less so the bodily harm or threats that may come towards journalists. You know, my fear is kind of more what happens to sort of like um, the threats that are holding our society together when we have this ecosystem where people can just believe what they want. People sort of, um, you know, using this in regards to, to believe what they want, you know, with a coronavirus epidemic. And so, you know, that to me is what is what scares me the most is kind of the impact that misinformation has um, on our democracy. You know, I think that we honestly are sort of only at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this infodemic. And so that's why something that I think is powerful about the work that we're doing is that, it, you know, it relies on um, information that cannot easily be refuted um, because it's there, it's visual, it's on video. Um, and so I think that that can be a powerful tool in, in the current like environment that we're in. How has the pandemic changed the way you do your job? Has it at all? Yes. Well, I don't leave my one bedroom apartment. Um, and, you know, I think we sort of are more, you know, we're kind of, we're lucky in the sense that our job sort of relies a lot on visuals that are taken by other people or by traffic cameras or by law enforcement. And so, you know, I think that um, perhaps we've been a little bit less impacted by the pandemic, thankfully, I guess, for us. What significance would you say? I know this is, you just got this news about DuPont, but what significance would you say the DuPont Award has for journalists and for you maybe even? I think it's hugely significant for, for me, for the work that my team is doing. I think that it is such a prestigious award. It means so much. Awards in our fields can really be like a form of currency. They underscore the value that your work has provided to a wide audience, particularly for young female journalists, for journalists of color. It is so important to get that kind of recognition because it's like an extra piece of evidence that the work that you're doing is important. You know, my team is all women. Um, they're 50% women of color. And so, you know, I feel like this is 
this is just kind of like a feather in their cap. It's really interesting because it's just such a different kind of reporting. You know, it's not out in that you're not out there filming what's happening. You're doing it a different way. Yeah, it's a bit different than traditional um, reporting where you're calling up source. I mean, we still like, you know, call up our sources and interview people. Um, it's just that, you know, we're sort of thinking about what are the other elements we can an- analyze to piece together what happened. And I do think that there's a lot of mistrust in various communities of official sources. And so if this kind of reporting can still be beneficial in terms of telling people what actually happened, then I feel I feel proud of it and I feel happy that we're doing it. And we are so happy that she is doing it too. Absolutely. The Washington Post visual forensics team has been creating audio visual documentation of some of the biggest news stories of the last year. I highly recommend their breakdowns of the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. Right. It is essential viewing. And if folks want to learn more about Lafayette Reconstruction, Visual Forensics, or the DuPont Awards, where should they go, Lisa? Funny you should ask, Abby. We have a brand new website. It's got the same name, DuPont.org, but it's got so many more bells and whistles. And it was built by J School grad and former DuPont fellow, Jack Roster-Munley, who is also, I should add, our new On Assignment podcast producer. He is doing it all. Thank you, Jack. It really looks great. It sure does. And we're excited about all of the content that we'll be adding to it in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have links to work by some of this year's winners and finalists and more information than ever about past winners. Yes, you can also watch the full 2021 award ceremony there, as we mentioned earlier. The website, just like this episode of On Assignment, is brought to you with the support of the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and Columbia Journalism School. Our new podcast producer, Jack, was assisted by this year's DuPont Fellows, Arcelia Martin and Rose Gilbert. Our music is by Dylan Nowick. Follow us on Twitter at Columbia Journal. Until next time. Music.